This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Uh, Tonight we are looking at Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7. Hear the word of God. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Father, we thank you for the opportunity once again today to study your word, to think about these things. And Father, in this later hour of the day, we pray for clear minds, pray for receptive hearts, hungry souls, Lord, to receive your word and feed on it together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible tells us that faith without works is dead. James chapter 2. True faith always has evidence of its existence. True saving faith, faith that springs from a regenerate heart, faith in Christ always has evidence to show its existence. It may show itself in obedience. It may show itself in action. It may show itself in obeying God, even when obedience does not seem to make sense, when it does not seem to be the most expedient thing to do. In fact, any time and every time we sin, it is because we have judged that obedience to God does not make sense and something else makes more sense. But it's important for us to obey God, even when to our minds all may not be clear, even when it may not make sense to do so, much as we teach our children. There are times when they need to obey promptly and immediately when we tell them to do something, especially if they're in, say, a parking lot or if they are otherwise in danger. There may not be time for explanations. There may be only time to issue the command and for them to obey. Noah was given a command that probably to him, at least, in many ways did not make sense. And yet he obeyed God. He is commended in the scriptures as a righteous man, uh, blameless in his day, a man who, like Enoch, walked with God. He did all that the Lord commanded him to do. He did it the way that the Lord told him to do it. And he appears here in chapter 11 of Hebrews because he, too, as with others, demonstrates what it means to live by faith. In fact, as it is rendered here in the ESV, those words by faith both begin the verse and end 
the verse. And so as we look at Noah here, the lesson he teaches is that because God's ways are different from our ways, we must obey God even when at times it may not make sense to us to do so. And so as we look at this passage, I want us to look at it and divide it up in terms of three observations about Noah's faith. Now, we see, obviously, first and foremost, Noah obeyed God by faith. He acted in faith. He acted trusting the Lord. Now, we see by faith Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. Uh, acted. Now, as we saw in the very first verse, faith is the assurance of hope for, uh, of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Noah warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. And in Noah's case, perhaps seeming remote, isolated, unlikely. Yet he acted according to the word of God. That's faith. The assurance of things hoped for, that confidence that those things that we hope for in Christ are real and we will come into them and enjoy them, just as we have already to the extent that we have, and the conviction of things not seen, which means we have to take God's word for it. So by faith, Noah obeys God. First observation, he did so in spite of some obstacles that uh, otherwise would hinder his path. One is, is the very improbability of this danger. A flood, a flood that's going to destroy the world. Uh, it may be that Noah lived in situations that were relatively dry uh, where he was. Uh, we do know that 120 years went by before the flood occurred. 120 years. A long time to build and wait and build and wait. He may well have had his detractors. He is referred to uh, in Second Peter as a herald of righteousness, a preacher of righteousness. Remember this morning, the word to preach had the idea of being a herald, of, of, of proclaiming, declaring an announcement. Uh, Noah was in his day a preacher of righteousness. Uh, we know the improbability of the danger, but also the difficulty of the task. Who was going to do this? Well, Noah couldn't do it all by himself. His family presumably helped and maybe some others around him. Uh, and yet we know, due to the extent of the judgment of the flood, there weren't too many people um, who believed what Noah believed. Very few, in fact. In fact, just Noah and his family, of course, were saved. And how do you go about building a ship anyway? I mean, this was not Noah's trade. Uh, this was something he had to learn, something he had to uh, to grow in his knowledge of and his ability for, uh, and the sheer size of the project, the size of the ark that God told him to build, uh, nearly 440 feet long, nearly 75 feet wide, nearly 44 feet high. It's the length of a football field and half another football field. It was four stories high. It had three decks. Total deck area of about 96,000 square feet. This was not building a dinghy for use on the lake. This is a major and a massive undertaking that, that Noah was involved in. And so there was these, there were these difficulties, the obstacles. But he obeyed, not only in spite of the difficulties, he obeyed because of his attitude toward God's uh, toward God's word. Notice it says, 
he obeyed, middle of verse 7, in reverent fear or in holy fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. What does that mean? Well, it means that he had a certain attitude toward God's word that was sufficient to overcome those obstacles, the difficulty of the task, the seemingly unlikeliness of this flood that the Lord had uh, had predicted. It said would would come to pass. You know, it would be tempting after a number of years had gone by. I think did I did I really understand the Lord right? Did, did I get what he said, or did I misunderstand? But no, he obeyed because of his attitude toward God's word. Holy fear. The, you know, as I think about it in Scripture, the closest thing I can come to, as far as an example of that, is Peter. You know, when they're fishing, they haven't caught anything, and Jesus says, well, um, put your nets out on the other side. And so they do it, and they catch all these fish, and... Peter comes before Jesus and he kneels before Jesus and he says, Lord, depart from me. That, I think, is an example of holy fear, or as it's translated here, reverent fear for the Lord. And so because of that, he is willing to obey when it doesn't make sense, in spite of the obstacles, but because of his attitude toward God's word. Do you do that? Noah did that. Do you, do I do that? Do we take God's word and approach it and hear it with that same sense of reverent fear toward God? That if God's word says behave in this way or believe this or do that or don't do this, is that how I behave? Is that how my character flows regardless of what people might think of me? regardless of what suffering or persecution may arise to me on that account, regardless of how out of step with our culture and our society in this day it may seem to be. Am I willing to take God at his word even when, in all kinds of ways, it may not seem to make sense? I would think in many ways in our culture, the defining issue today is homosexuality. Of taking God's design for our sexuality and substituting a perversion for it, which is not only to be tolerated, but accepted and approved. And our adherence to the word of God, whether it's as believers or whether it's as a congregation or whether it's as a denomination and for any other congregation and denomination, is going to be tested on that issue in coming days. Are we willing to be rejected? Are we willing to be relegated to the cultural backwaters to be seen in our day as 30 years ago people might have looked at clan members because of our view of the sinfulness of homosexuality? It may come to that. In fact, it quite likely will come to that. But do you stand on the word of God? Or, for the sake of convenience, ease, profit, whatever it might be, do you conform to this culture? Do we obey God? That's just one issue. There are certainly many. But do we obey God and take him at his word, even when it may not seem like it makes a whole lot of sense to do so? Start hearing the siren call of our culture. Well, what's really wrong with it? You know, 
They love each other, whatever. All these excuses and rationalizations that are a way of getting around the Word of God. You will see so-called evangelicals figuring out a way to accommodate themselves to that and make it work. You don't be one of them. We must be like Noah. We must obey God's Word in reverent fear, regardless of the obstacles, because it's God's Word. Now, not only does Noah by faith obey, Noah by faith condemned the world. As for he himself, he obeys. He honors God's word. He, he sees what God is saying, even though he looks around and it doesn't seem to be any urgency. Blue skies, everything looks nice. The weather's been pretty dry. Seem to be getting into a drought. A flood, really? Uh, but he obeyed. He did what God told him to do, in spite of the obstacles, in spite of the difficulty, but because of his attitude toward God's word. Second, by faith, Noah condemned the world. Second observation he makes here. Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, the only thing he has to go on here is God's word. There's nothing in the weather. There's nothing around him that would say this is going to happen other than the word of God that's told him there's going to be a flood. In reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world. Seems rather harsh. How did he condemn the world. Well, we need to recognize he lived in a very condemnation-worthy world. Uh, we read about this, of course, uh, beginning in Genesis chapter 6, the description of the situation in Noah's day, uh, that mysterious verse, verse 1 and verse 2, uh, when they begin to multiply, the sons of God saw the daughters of men were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. The Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever. He is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim, which uh, fallen ones. But notice verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil. Continually. It's hard to to figure out a way to emphasize more the wickedness of those days. How do those days compare with our own? It's hard to say. Uh, they were, they were as, they were seemingly as, as awful as humanly speaking they could be. Is that true of our day? I don't think that it really is. And our day is, is no worse in some ways than, than many that have gone before it, unless some manifestations of evil particularly are more open and uh, accepted. But every day, every age has its, has its evils. So much so, verse 6, the Lord was sorry he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. And that's when he chooses to blot out this wicked humanity by means of the flood, uh, but Noah found favor. And, of course, then we get into his calling Noah. But Noah condemned the world. We need to recognize that it was a, a, a very evil, a very wicked world, very wicked time. How else did Noah condemn the, he condemns the world because of the context in which he lived? But he also condemned the world through his preaching. Again, Second Peter tells us Noah was a preacher of righteousness. What did he say? Well... What does it mean to be a preacher of righteousness? I suspect he called people to account for their wickedness. 
for every evil intention of their heart that was only evil all the time. No doubt condemn that. Uh, I suspect also as a preacher of righteousness, he called people to live in a right way before God, uh, but certainly uh, exposed their wickedness. So he condemned the world in that way. But I think above all, he condemned the world by building the ark. He condemned the world by his faithfulness to God's word. Uh, they saw this ark being built. They saw this mute testimony to the coming judgment of God on the one hand, but also the grace of God to save in the midst of his judgment on the other hand. And so his righteousness, his faithfulness, the, the physical manifestation of his faithfulness in this ark that was being constructed was a condemnation of the wickedness of the world around it. It couldn't be otherwise. And did, did Noah suffer ridicule? No doubt. At this project that they may have known as Noah's folly, this immense vessel on dry land, apparently nowhere near any major body of water, But as they looked at it, they were looking at their own condemnation, their own hardness of heart, their own spiritual blindness, their own unfaithfulness and wickedness. You know, the sad thing is people haven't learned. Whether this culture, our society is as wicked as that of Noah's day is is almost irrelevant because it's hard to measure that. But we do know that the attitude is the same and will be the same. Look at Matthew chapter 24. Verse 37, Jesus is, of course, answering his disciples' question about what will be signs of the the destruction of the temple, what will be signs of the end of the age. And in 2436, Jesus says, concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. As were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now, Jesus is not saying that so much with a view toward their wickedness as he is saying that with a view toward their obliviousness, toward their unbelief in Noah's preaching, toward their ignoring the meaning of this ark that was being built as its shadows stretched longer and longer over them. They simply were just going on with life. So sadly, in Noah's day, as well as our own, as well as the day Jesus says when he returns, people will just be going about their business, just living their lives, paying no attention. Uh, if they do hear the warnings, they brush it aside, except unless by God's grace they, they do receive it. Uh, but he condemned the world. We talked this morning about people's reaction to the gospel. Paul saying, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, and that's why I suffer the way I do. Uh, another reason the gospel is offensive to some is because it does prick the conscience. 
It does confront them with righteousness, whether by our lips or whether our lives and our obedience, we also are preachers, heralds of righteousness. And your unwillingness to join others in their wickedness bothers them. It exposes them, maybe in a very small way, maybe greatly, uh, but it does condemn who do you think you're better than everybody else? You know, why do you do that? Why won't you join us in our sin? That kind of thing. Uh, because it makes them uncomfortable. It exposes the very sinfulness of their sin when you refuse to join them in it. And so whether by lips or by lives with Noah, with Noah in his day, so it is with us in our day as well. The fact is, uh, by being here tonight, by worshiping God, by living a life of integrity this week, by being faithful to your husband and your wife, uh, by going about your life in a way that honors Christ, you are condemning the world. It is exposed by your righteousness, whether it's seen in your lives or heard from your lips. And that's just a reality. That just as Noah condemned the world, we too share in that, in a way, simply by living Christ-like lives uh, in, a, in a godless world. Third, not only did Noah obey God when it really didn't seem, seem to make sense, but not, and by faith did he condemn the world, but also in the third place, by faith, Noah received God's righteousness. Notice how the verse ends. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, we tend to think of Abraham. You hear of Abraham, Galatians 3, Abraham, the man of faith, righteousness by faith. Abraham believed God and he credited it to him as faith. The Bible makes much of that and rightly so. Paul makes much of that and rightly so. But we need to recognize that well before Abraham appeared on the scene, Noah believed God and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah acted as he did because of his faith. A God-given faith, to be sure. Noah found favor with God, which is a statement not only of recognizing Noah's life, but also a statement of grace. Noah lived the way he did because he found favor with God, because God was gracious to him and gave him a new heart. Again, Genesis 6-9, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah is the first person in Scripture to be called a righteous man, that that word is used of. And so, yes, we think of Abraham, the man of faith, Abraham, the one righteous by faith. But don't forget Noah, who many, many years before Abraham was himself justified by his faith. Um, of course, that same faith is the same righteousness is available to us by Faith, trusting in, in Christ, Romans 3. Now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, though the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Like Abraham, Noah didn't have the big picture, he didn't have the New Testament, but he trusted in God, he believed God's word, in this case not so much a promise as a threat, and acted on it, and God counts that to him as righteousness. Well, certainly for us, and trusting in God's promise of salvation by grace through faith in Christ, as we know now, we receive that same righteousness. And the same need for God's righteousness by faith is just as real in our day. Because God comes to us 
and he warns us of a judgment to come. Not of a flood, not a judgment of water, but a judgment of fire. A universal judgment, a judgment that no one will escape. He offers salvation. He offers a way to escape that judgment. In Noah's day, it was this ark, which, as it turned out, carried among the animals just Noah and his immediate family out of all the population of the world. Well, in our case as well, God offers us salvation from this judgment through the ark, through the the Lord Jesus Christ, through trusting in him. We have to take God at his word, even when it may not make sense to do so. When we do so, we will condemn the world. But as we do so, we will find righteousness in Christ before God and so be saved. The parallels with the promise of an oncoming judgment, a future judgment with Noah's day, are striking. Peter makes much of this in Second Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. He says, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. Sounds a lot like Noah's day. They'll say, where is this promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Married and given in marriage, just like Jesus said. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago. And the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished with the same word, by the same word. The heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Do you believe that? You look out and say, oh, it's a fine evening, clear sky, everything's just nice, going along as it should, winter's ending, here comes spring. Your friends, like Noah, we have to take God at his word. Do not miss, as you look out the window at that pretty sky, the gathering storm clouds. Those in Noah's day missed the gathering storm clouds in a clear blue sky. Don't you be one of them. God has promised us salvation not through a boat, not through a vessel, but through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So take God at his word. If you follow him, you will be a witness to and a condemnation of the unbelieving world. But you will also be saved by grace through your faith. And maybe through your witness, where Noah was unsuccessful, Maybe through your witness and our witness together, there will be others joining us in the ark of the Lord Jesus Christ and with us in salvation. Let's pray. Father, we pray it so. Lord, we're thankful that you saved Noah and his family. But Lord, would it have been many, many more who took you at your word? Father, increase our faith. We recognize the very nature of this chapter has to do with faith, certainty of things that are not seen. Father, give us the eyes of faith to see the truth of your promise. Lord, from beginning to end, as in this verse, may we too live and act by faith. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.